Hello and welcome to Vet Chloe on the Road. Insights from real people making positive change for our planet. I am Chloe, a veterinarian who has an interest in wildlife and all things environmental. And this is a show for people who would like to connect, learn, and prioritize caring for our beautiful green and blue world. Come join me as I travel around Australia in my van, Layla. Let's share all things conservation and meet all the inspiring environmental heroes along the way. And on today's episode, I have a fabulous interview. Last show, I said I was not going to have one. I was going to start my Lap of Oz trip debrief, but I came across a great opportunity while in Bali on my meditation retreat, learning all about food waste recycling in conversation with one of my meditation friends, Josh. And he got me in touch with his work partner, Darren Pinto. This is how my podcast rolls. If you have an interest in anything in life, it will come your way. Just be on the lookout for it. Darren's company is called Waste Ninja. It is a waste management company specializing in food waste collection and recycling. It is amazing their endeavor and what they are up to. Food waste recycling is a big topic. It's an out of sight topic. It's a very important topic. Lots to discuss, lots of questions. This interview was done remotely, so the audio is not perfect, but nevertheless, I hope you enjoy. Listen in. So welcome to the show, Darren. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Chloe. Absolutely. And to start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my background is uh, I'm a bean counter by trade. So I I came up through sort of the finance ranks in the corporate world Mm. and did that for about 10, 15 years, realized I was doing some interesting work, but not really, um, you know, I didn't really have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all those cliches that come with that. So yep. I started looking at um, different types of business opportunities and obviously I had a passion for social causes, including the environment and that kind of thing. So, yeah, as, as part of that, that work, I also came up across this problem of waste, waste being not only an environmental issue but uh, a massive financial burden. Mm. Uh, and in my last job, with, which was with uh, Virgin Atlantic, one of the airlines in the UK, um, I was responsible for their flight services catering budget along with a few other things ah. and I just saw how much of the food food waste that is presented to passengers on board Gosh. does never get touched and then just returns back and ends up in the bin. Yeah. And it, at the time it was mostly a cost matter for me because you know I was responsible for the budget of that business segment and mm-hmm. what I found was that we were spending a huge amount of money not only um, over-purchasing the, the, the product but then when the customer wasn't taking it, then we were also paying money to dispose it. And then, of course, that's an environmental burden when it's, an org- when it's uh, anything that goes to landfill, particularly organic waste. Um, so, so, yeah, that's my kind of background and how mm. I got into this space. A bit of a random, <laughs> random story. Yeah, but definitely seeing behind the scenes, you got exposed to a problem. Because for us, out of sight, out of mind, right? That's how we, we operate as humans. So that's good. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. So- yeah, totally. And, and, you know, for me, um, I'm no different in that sense. And now I have a more uh, in-depth understanding of what, what, what is happening behind the scenes with the waste industry and mm. not just organic waste, but other types of other, other types of waste as well. But, but, you know, that's probably one of the most eye-opening things for me is that two, two years ago, two or three years ago before I started working on this, uh, I looked back and I, I just realized how much I didn't know about what was going on behind the scenes. And yeah. The, the things I see now that I, it seems so obvious and so in your face, but at the time, you're just a part of life that 
that I didn't take any notice of. So yeah, yeah. it's totally one of those industries that you, you find out how much is just going on that you take for granted, but it's actually a lot going on behind behind closed doors. Yep. And now you're the CEO of Waste Ninja. Do you have formal studies in business? Is that what you were doing um, with the airlines and things? Yeah, that's right. I actually do have a business background. So I um, at university I did finance and IT, and mm-hmm. then I went on to do professional qualifications as a an accountant. So I'm like a CPA by trade. Great. And then I in the in the corporate world I went up through those ranks. So I was mostly doing financial management uh, mm-hmm. within those different sort of large corporates. I worked in industries like retail, mm-hmm. uh, energy, and and um, airlines. And yeah. yeah, so but yeah, so I would say that's probably my my stronger side is is the that business side of things. Then what that, that means though in this sort of trade because there's a, a an awful amount of just rolling your sleeves up and getting things done. Yeah, it means I have to kind of pick up my game a little bit on the sort of operational and technical side. Yeah, um, but that's all part of the fun, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. so you get yeah, I am formally trained in business. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And you know, all that hard work, all that time, it's kind of fun to look back on our own lives, isn't it, and see where different paths have taken us. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your company? Yeah, sure, sure. So Waste Ninja is a company that I founded two and a half years ago, um, mm. and as I said before, it was founded out of, uh, in, in reaction to a problem that I saw that I wanted solved. And if anything, I, I started off thinking that the little parts of solving that problem, and to be specific, that problem is food, the amount of organic waste that we send to landfill, which in Australia is 7 million tons a year. Wow. Uh, I, I initially thought, yeah, it's, and, and, and 80% <laughs> of that is, about 80% of that is food waste. So, Gosh. Um, and, 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 you know, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it, it's a, uh, it's a very, it's a confronting statistic, right? So, and, um, you know, to, to, to kind of drill home what the impact of that is, mm. um, in a, that, that amount of organic waste going to landfill, the amount of methane produced by that 7 million tons, the equivalent of having 3 million extra cars on the road each year, uh, 3 million fossil fuel based cars. So oh, it's not gosh. a small environmental impact. And then, of course, on top of that, landfills are a finite resource that are going to run out by 2030 yes. across all major cities in Australia. So, yeah. I didn't know this at the time, but what I did know was that, what I did find out was that food waste uh, ending up in landfill is a problem, and right now there's no way to avoid that when it's all going into your general waste bin. So mm-hmm. I initially thought that I would solve this by helping companies source separate their food waste into separate bins, and, and I'd kind of just give the work on to other waste companies. As, yeah. and, and I thought I was doing everyone a favour in the process, but what I found out was that, what I found out very quickly was that the existing waste industry um, didn't have a huge appetite for taking on that work. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a few reasons for that, which I can elaborate on if, if you like. But, yeah, sure. Um, there were a few reasons why, and, and, in, and in the end, I, I figured, well, if no one else is going to do this, I'll just do it myself, and yeah. that's how I ended up in this, cool. this business, if that makes sense. Yeah, you sort of found the work for yourself. <laughs> um, and that's right, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess you've mentioned it there, but it, it's a big problem, food waste. So I would have to look up what that... It's hard for me to imagine what seven million tons you said, what that actually looks That's like. Right. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a oh. lot. So yeah, times that by thousands, we get into kilos, top thing. Yeah, oh. it's seven, seven million, seven million tons a year. Wow. Is the amount we send to landfill. And yeah, what yeah. do you define as food waste? So yes. anything that um, is either meant for human consumption or um, or is an offcut of human consum- consumption. 
uh, and, and is organic. So mm-hmm. uh, probably probably worthwhile expanding the definition to, um, you know, I, I, t- I tend to use the term food waste just because it's where the bulk of the problem is, and for most consumers, that's that's what they can relate to. But actually, what we what what would automatically gets incorporated to that is any organic waste, which is ultimately okay. plant and animal products that would in in a normal biological process break down and become return back to organic matter. Mm-hmm. So that's everything from plant, plant, um, you know, fruits and vegetables, um, all parts of the plant, you know, branch, tree, the branches, the trees, the leaves, the leaves, the, the branches, the trunks, the leaves, etc. Yep. Uh, and organic. then animal, animal products, so milk, proteins, bones, uh, that that kind of stuff. So all animal and plant. And um, even really even probably like dog poo that we pick up in the park and put away, that would be yeah, absolutely. Like it's you yeah, know absolutely. it's come all from all a body. Of waste products. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I guess these these things we all chuck into a red bin and it's sort of decomposing alongside plastic and wrappers and general waste and producing methane. Um, that's sort of the concept, isn't it? That's right. So in just to describe that a little bit in yeah. um, more detail, what happens in in a landfill is because because you because it's not um, because the waste is being buried in layers. Yeah. Uh, anything below the top layers is being deprived of oxygen. And once ah. you deprive organic matter of oxygen, mi- microorganisms that are consuming it go, undergo a process called anaerobic digestion, which is digestion in the absence of oxygen. Yeah. And as a byproduct of that process, instead of producing carbon dioxide, which is what you and I produce, yeah. it produces methane. And methane is, as we know, 20 times more potent than carbon dioxide. And that methane right. is then released into the atmosphere. On top of that, the, the it's hopelessly inefficient. So people think that when organic waste goes to landfill, uh, at least it disappears after a, a year or so and, and you, you can somehow then reuse that space. That's actually not true. So as an example, ah. um, you know, they, when, they, when they dug up landfills in the past, they found cabbage heads that are 75 years old. Oh, no! Um, oh. Yeah, it's, it's hopelessly inefficient anaerobic digestion. So, so what, what that means in practice is that this 7 million tonnes of uh, organic waste that we're burying each year that's that's landfill airspace that we can't use again, right? But in our lifetime, that that landfill will eventually fill up, and then we'll have to go and find another place to bury our waste, where it will become a environmental burden, but it'll also become uh, it'll also become unusable. So there, there's this there's this misconception that landfill is um, a replenishable resource, it's, and it's not. It's mm. and in all the major cities in Australia, we're going to run out of landfill airspace by 2030 within 250 kilometres. So using, using Sydney, where I live, as an example, yep. come 2030, if we don't either create more landfills in metropolitan space or um, expand the capacity of the existing ones or find a more sustainable solution, we'll have to transport that waste over 250 kilometres. So then we'll have both a environmental, uh, sorry, both a landfill problem and a transport problem on top of that. So oh. it'll compound the problem. <laughs> and then the methane, which is, as you say, 20 times uh, worse than carbon dioxide I needed to be reminded of that fact so I'm glad that you are busting these myths because you're right that is the concept um you're you're basically uh your service of composting the food waste is solving many issues yeah um and so what does your company physically do with its service um so there's all these offcuts at restaurants and us as customers, what then happens? Yeah, sure. So, so put, put quite simply, the the business. Yeah, I often get asked this question of, well, what exactly do you do in, mm. in, in practice? And it's, it's not 
It's not sophisticated at all. Basically, we give a separate bin, just like the example I give to people is it's no different to what you do today with your other recycling streams like uh, plastic, glass, aluminium, and paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you know, the reason you have a separate bin is because once it's mixed in with your general waste, it's very difficult to um, remove it and, and, and recycle it. So right. uh, the, the same issue exists with organics. If you can separate it out into a separate bin or what we call source separation, yep. then its ability to be recovered uh, is increased. Obviously, you still got to do the rest of it, which I'll, which I'll explain shortly. But um, the first step is to have the waste generator uh, source separate it and capture it as a, as a single waste stream. And then once we've provided that separate bin and you know, trained the the clients, staff, and integrated that into their operations and so that it's, that's, it's happening smoothly, then there's a matter of collecting it from the site and transporting it from the site to where it can be recovered. Now, mm-hmm. that itself is a bit of a challenge in its own right because there, there's this misconception that um, if you want to transport a waste stream on its own, you, you've already got the, the, the waste trucks out there. You can just somehow utilize the existing capacity of those waste trucks. Mm. It actually doesn't work like that because the source, the fact that it's separated into a single waste stream means you have to dedicate the, the trucks you use to, to that purpose or they right. end up getting contaminated when they're transported. Uh-huh. So this, this ties back into what I was saying before about um, there is a little bit of, there was a little bit of reluctance from the existing uh, industry to, to adopt this because it wasn't as simple as just using their existing assets yeah. Um, to, 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 to build this product and to build this service. So, so for us, it was very much a, um, a right for a new entrant to come in and, and say, look, we'll, we'll, we'll buy the, um, the purpose-built trucks for this, um, for, for this particular activity and then we'll dedicate them to this service and that's, that's precisely what we do. So then so we source-separate it, we transport it, mm-hmm. and then we take it to the appropriate site that can then convert it into either compost only or um, um, a compost product and biogas, which is renewable energy. So the two types of main technologies we use there, um, but both of them divert it from landfill and produce valuable byproducts. So you can kind of split wow, into three things. One is one is getting the, the customer or the waste generator to source separate. The second challenge is um, transporting it from that customer to the appropriate site uh, using the appropriate trans- transport mechanism that keeps it in isolation. Mm-hmm. And then the final one is actually finding those sites to, to take it and recover it and, and use it for something valuable rather than just burying it in the ground. Gotcha. Problem solving. So you're you're rising to the occasion. Yeah, thanks for talking uh, us through it because, um, yeah. yeah, it gives, gives us a better um, concept as to the challenges that you are facing. And do you, you find... Know, when you say problem, sorry, buddy, and you know yeah. when you say problem solving. Yes. Um, that's, a, that's a very, I'd say that's a half, a glass, half full view of what I'm doing, which I appreciate when yes. I first started this. The amount of people that, whose response was, there's a lot of moving parts. Yes. <laughs> they see the other way around, like, you're, you're going to fail. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, that's, that's totally problem solving. 100%. You're, you're problem 100%. finding and problem solving. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> it's good you don't just find and leave it because, you know, that's what I like about um, the conversations that I have on this show is that it is people that are proactive and there's nothing more inspiring than actually taking action on things. Um, otherwise... You know, learning about these statistics can be very depressing. So um, I love to learn about Absolutely. people like yourself and what you're up to. Yeah. And do you find restaurants are receptive to the service that you offer? Yeah, look, it's, it's, a, little bit, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, there's obviously what we call our early adopters, which are 
restaurants and cafes and other organisations that are generating this form of waste who are basically been waiting for years for someone <laughs> to come along and say, I, I can do this for you. Yeah. Uh, and obviously that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing when you find that sort of customer out there. Mm. Um, you know, and, and to them, it's not, it's, it's not a transactional relationship you develop with those sorts of customers. It's, it's almost like a, you know, they become like a family. You go out, you know, on, on certain days I'll go out and join the runs just to get, go and meet the customers and, and get to know the operation better and all that sort of stuff. And well, what I find is you go in and when I do that, I make every effort to go and meet each customer mm-hmm. and, and um, personally and, you know, show them that real, we're real people, not, not robots and yes. all that kind of, um, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and what I find in that process is, you're not treated like this person that's providing a service and sends you a bill every month. So you're really treated like, you know, it's almost like a hero's reception, right? They, yeah. they really love what, what we're doing. So, um, so there, there are certainly those types of customers there, which I call our early adopters. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, there's the ones that are sort of in the middle, which are, you know, we, we're happy to do this. It's just, it, it's either going to save me money or not cost me anymore. <laughs> Show me the numbers. You've got, <laughs> you've got the customers that are right at the other end that go, I don't care if it's good for the environment and I don't care, um, actually don't care even if it costs, if it's a little bit cheaper. Um, what I do care about is that it's gonna, it's gonna be difficult to do and it might, it might rock my operational boat a little bit and therefore, mm. uh, I'm not taking, yeah, you know, it's kind of like a risk averse approach, which I obviously I totally, um, totally respect. I, it's not, this is not me saying that, um, that, that that's not, that's not the right approach. I, res- I respect that and most, most of the businesses we're serving are, Small businesses um, whose main main priority above everything else is to pay the bills, and we totally we totally respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would say is that there are enough customers out there that are in the uh, the other end of the spectrum where they either um, are really proactively want to do this, uh, and and or they're in the middle where they say, look, if you can help us make it work, we, we're happy to come to the part, come to the table as well. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's that, there's enough of those two types of customers to to build a solid business. And and what I would say is that. You know, that's a description of today, the, the, the market today for this service. Mm-hmm. Um, then if you trend that forward, what, what is inevitable is that this will not only become um, cheaper because the cost of landfill is going up due to the issues I described before. Mm-hmm. Um, so as an example, if you're a, commer- a restaurant with a commercial waste contract for general waste, eventually, right now our service is roughly in line with the cost of that. Um, so right. you should be no worse off or, or slightly better or slightly worse. Um, but you know, in three, four years' time, it will this will be cheaper. So it'll actually be a financial, mm. um, there'll, there'll be financial economic drivers rather than just um, environmental drivers. Um, and the other side of that is that that the behavioural um, requirements or the, the operational requirements will just become the fabric of what. So I, I sort of describe to people what it, I, I ask people to cast their mind back to when we didn't recycle at home, you know, and, and all you did was throw everything into one bin. And obviously that was ending up in landfill at the time. Um, and the beauty of that example is that most of us can, well, at least here in Australia, most of us can relate to that because it was within uh, our lifetime. If you're, if you're at the, uh, older than 30 as, as I am. Um, yep. So the, the, going through that process, you know, I often get people ask me, what makes you think that people are going to be able to adopt this? And I, and I kind of say, well, because we've done it before. Like have a think about when we used to throw out everything else, including recycling, and then they brought in that little recycling bin and we started using that and mm-hmm. it was a bit of a hassle. And then after all, we kind of thought, hey, this is, this is, this is actually not that hard. And then they went, you know what, we're going to make your general waste bin smaller and we're going to make your recycling bin bigger. Yeah. And now you're not just going to separate it all out into one bin. You're actually going to have 
one side for paper and one side for glasses, plastics and, and aluminium. And, and it went on to a point. Now we look back and we think it's such a um, basic part of the fabric of what we do. Mm-hmm. We don't even question it. Like no, no one sits around and goes, oh, recycling is difficult because <laughs> right? it's just part of what we do. Yeah. The same thing will happen with food, food waste and organics uh, in, in my crystal ball of the world. Yeah. No, definitely. I think, um, you know, I, I like the idea that you do have a heroic welcome to some of these restaurants because, you know, they're the ones seeing the waste like you did on the airlines of what's being thrown away. So there's that kind of guilt element, I'm sure. Um, and also, you know, consumer demand, people wanting to be more aware of what their actions do to affect the planet. Um, you know, along with the finances, like you say, I'm sure the service will become more and more in demand. Very exciting. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And some of these, some of these our customers, you know, to that point, for them, it's becoming a case of, you know, even if we don't necessarily care, our customers care, and we've got to yeah. start showing that we're doing something about this. So there's, yeah. there's certainly an aspect of that where it's it's becoming an issue to our customers' customers. Yes. As well. Yes. And so food waste normally thrown into the red general waste bin gets picked up, taken to a landfill. Um, where is this in Sydney and is it contained so nothing leaches into the soil? What, what does it look like? Yeah, sure. Um, look, there's a few around Sydney, uh, using Sydney as an example. So uh, there's a few out in sort of western Sydney and there's a few that I know of in, in the south of the city. But, you know, in short, they're, they're, scattered, they're scattered all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know that is, that is part of part of the problem is you know, if you would just walk to walk down the street and ask and, and survey ten people where, where if they know where the nearest landfill is you, you'd be it wouldn't be unusual for everyone to go I have no idea and that's yeah. all of us are <laughs> contributing yeah. to those landfills yeah. so uh, yeah they're, they're scattered in all different um, different parts of each of the cities and then you know I mentioned before this issue of um, landfill space within metropolitan parts of Australia, including Sydney, being uh, finite. You know, we already transport some of our waste to a landfill site 250 kilometres south of the city, uh, which actually, at some point, even boards a train. Um, so, so that, that's already happening right now as we speak. Wow. Uh, so, so there, you know, there's a few all over the place. And um, in terms of how that impacts the soil, it absolutely does impact the soil. There are environmental requirements that are enforced by the ETA, which is the Environmental Protection Authority. But the, the fact of the matter remains that once you start burying um, mixed, mixed, food, mixed waste, including organics, about 40% of it, when it's not so separated, should be organics, and then the rest is all things like plastics and other, other non, non-recyclables. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you start doing that, it does create what they call a leachate, and that leachate does get into the soil, there are requirements to cap that leachate, but it inevitably contaminates the land and the land around it. Yeah. And, and then, of course, over time, it, um, it produces methane. So the, the, the site that I'm talking about in two hours south of, two and a half hours south of Sydney, um, that particular site, you know, if you go there, the, the, the soil actually bubbles because of the methane coming through it. Oh, man. <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of gross scenario that no one knows is going on. You've got to go there and see it, but it's actually yeah. happening. It actually does happen. It's happening right now as we speak. Oh, gosh. So although they might have, like, a concrete seal to the landfill, it gets through there, like, um, and accesses the soil? Yeah, well, you, you can't actually make uh, a concrete seal because yeah. you, you've got to. This is probably getting into a, a space that I don't understand the tech, technicalities um, well. So yeah, no, all uh, good. De- definitely worthwhile fact checking what I say. 
Yeah, but but I imagine if you had a bunch of organics decomposing in um, in, in anaerobically, so in the absence of oxygen, yeah, you, because it would be producing methane. If you were to seal it airtight with concrete or anything like that, um, you would actually create another environmental problem. Um, mm. So when they talk about capping, it's actually there's a certain type certain types of products. Um, the, the process is called landfill capping, and there's certain types of products that you're allowed to use as part of the landfill capping process. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's getting into to a space that I don't know, I understand that technically. Yeah, but what I can it. say is that um, it, it's not it's not so sealed so well that it avoids um, any form of um, methane emissions, and mm-hmm. it's not sealed so well that it avoids leachate altogether, so le- you know, um, tox- toxins yeah. getting into the surrounding soil. It's more a bit of a more like a risk mitigation um, requirement rather yeah. than a risk avoidance or reduction, um, yeah. uh, risk avoidance requirement. Yeah. It, it, it minimizes and it, it, cont- it contains the problem, but it doesn't remove it altogether. And you would think that it probably would produce a chemical that could probably erode things, you know, if it's acidic or something like that. Um, again, out of our realm, but um, yeah, good to know that it also affects the soil, not just the um, gas products it produces. Um, and yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. I- Yes, sorry, sorry. No, it's all good. Um, so yeah. after the methane, oh, just, yeah, what were we yeah. going to say? Sorry, so I was just going to elaborate, elaborate on that point. Mm. Um, well, I guess the, the bit that makes it all quite um, heartbreaking is that part of, you know, going back to the problem of how much waste we generate um, and, you know, focusing particularly on food waste, um, all that comes back to the fact that we produce too much food in the first place and then we most of it gets lost in the supply chain and then wasted uh, when yeah. we actually purchase it as well. And the, 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 the heartbreaking of all this is that one of the biggest, um, all the nutrients we take to, to, to produce that food, uh, one of which is nitrogen, is actually quite uh, energy intensive. So most people don't realise that to produce oh. chemical fertilisers, which the amount of food we produce um, requires you to use, um, you, you need ni- huge amounts of nitrogen that don't exist naturally in soil. And to do that, we extract it from the atmosphere using a process called the Harbour Process. And to, use the harbor, to do the harbor process, you've got to use uh, fossil fuels or natural gas, which is the most common way of extracting nitrogen. So we use that process. We use fossil fuels to generate, to produce enough nitrogen to produce all the food we use, mm. we, we produce. And then we waste a huge amount of it, and then we just bury it in the soil. And nitrogen actually becomes a toxin in the soil, right? Oh, so it's gosh. Weird, um, it's certainly not what you would call a, a circular economy. And that's yeah. part of what we're trying to trying to um, take part in. But, but it's, it's like a, a, an issue where we've got on two sides, you know, on one hand, we don't have enough of it when we grow it and then we go and extract it from the atmosphere and then we waste most of it in the ground and then that nitrogen becomes a liability to the soil. Wow. I think that's when I had this kind of um, um, light bulb moment when I lined all these things up, that's when it became most, when I saw it as a, a real heartbreaking scenario because we, we're kind of creating two problems on both ends. It is heartbreaking and insane, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is insane. <laughs> it is insane. And, you know, that's why I like um, talking and learning about this stuff, because you almost have to find out for yourself about what's going on, because it doesn't make top news, does it? You've got to almost do your own sort of research and, your, you know, follow your own curiosity on things, because um, I feel that everyone should know this, but unfortunately it's not common knowledge. Yeah. Unfortunately not. No. And I think, I think part of the issue there is, as you say, more of us just need to ask more questions. Yeah. Um, 
and and we're hoping to play a, play a part in that and yeah. helping people oh. when they do ask these questions, um, helping them understand it as well. Brilliant. Now you're doing a great job there. And so after the methane is trapped, what happens then? And do you partner with others? Yeah, so, so when you say um, an upper methane is trapped, you mean when we um, take it to an organics recycling facility? Yes, sorry, yeah, to specify yeah. Um, for your service. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, sure. So, so for, for anyone who's listening that um, wants to know more about the technology that we're specifically talking about, the technical word for it is anaerobic digestion, which is a bit confusing because that's also what happens when it goes to landfill. But yeah. the reason it's called that is because the, science, the scientific process is still the same. It's mm-hmm. you take the organic matter, you deprive it of oxygen, and then you allow those methanogens, which are microorganisms that particularly um, thrive in an anaerobic environment, you allow them to produce methane, mm-hmm. and then you, you, you um, in the natural setting, that will happen if you deprive organic matter of oxygen, which is what happens in a landfill. Mm-hmm. But in our sites, what we do is we, um, we, we take it into these biogas facilities where it's done in a controlled environment, in an enclosed controlled environment, and then the methane is captured uh, in, in its entirety. And that methane then, to answer your question on what happens with it then, we then, most sites that we um, deal with just because it's easy, will then um, put it through a power generator, which is like a little a little engine. And um, as an example, you know, the site we use in Melbourne that does this produces about two megawatts of power a year, which is a, a huge amount of electricity. It's about, mm. um, you know, a normal gas-fired power station is about 80 megawatts to get put that into context. So it's... It's kind of tiny in that sense, mm-hmm. but it's still, um, you know, enough enough power to mm. to make to make a good uh, a, a decent impact. And so that's what we do um, normally to make it easy. But you can visit with other things with it. Methane is essentially um, the same gas that goes into natural gas to power your home. Yep. So one of the things that is becoming more prevalent in Australia is um, upgrading that what they call biogas, which is about 60% methane, and that's the product that comes straight out of the organic matter. Yeah. Um, upgrading it into what they call biomethane, which is essentially the same um, product as natural gas, and then you can do things like feed it into the gas grid. Um, you can power, you can compress it and power um, what they call CNG vehicles, compressed natural gas vehicles, which we're also looking closely at because we like the idea of cool. being able to take the take the truck to the site, dispose the organic waste with them, fill up the the, the truck with compressed natural gas, yes. which is actually being produced from the garbage itself. And then return the truck out to service. Oh, so um, cool! But, you know, that's, a, that's a bigger picture, but that's the kind of stuff you can do with this. Yeah, <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah, that'll be an exciting idea. Thank you. Mm, yeah. I mean, you know, I think humans create problems, but we also can solve stuff. So um, it's a it's a wonderful niche you're in. And are other companies doing this this sort of service that you're providing? Yeah, yeah. Look, there are there are companies that are doing it. Um, I, I would certainly call them sort of small, small players um, like, like, our, like us, you know, mm-hmm. with a niche. Yep. Um, that's not to say that the niche isn't a big market if you can capture it in a scalable manner, which is what we are aiming to do. Yep. But, um, but there's no one, there isn't really like a, 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 a interstate, um, you know, multi-city large player that's doing this. There's, yeah. What there tends to be is one, one decent-sized company that does it in each city um, or, or a complete absence altogether. Yeah. Uh, and that's mostly because the big waste companies at the moment um, haven't seen enough um, of a market in this. And, and that's predominantly because they already own these waste streams mm-hmm. anyway through the general waste land, slash landfill um, um, business. So, yeah, so, so at the moment there are a lot of, let's call them little fragmented 
competitors um, of, of, of our company out there like us. Yep. Uh, we want to take this service and this product all over the country and we want it to be something that everyone in Australia does. So yeah, cool. that, to have that sort of ambition, you can't be, um, you can't, you can't be comfortable just sitting in one city, if that makes sense. So, yeah. uh, but there is no one doing that at the moment. And we're, we're about to, um, at the moment we cover two cities, which is probably, we would probably be the only, we'll be the only company in Australia that I know of that does that. Right. So Sydney, is it Brisbane, the other one or is it Melbourne? Um, Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. Gotcha. In fact, a bigger operation is in Melbourne. Yeah. Cool. And the general waste is organised through government as well, whereas this has to be a private enterprise, doesn't it? Is that also a bit of a divide? Because, I mean, the government has to look after general waste removal for people, right? Sure, yeah. Look, the, the way to answer that is um, to think about it from a... There's two distinct problems between commercial waste and residential waste. So okay. commercial waste is any setting like, um, and you get examples of what we're talking about about uh, restaurants and restaurants, cafes, but yeah. any, any setting where the, um, you know, it's, it's a business and usually in that scenario, there are exceptions to this as well, but usually in that scenario, waste is just a service like everything else in the business. Mm -hmm. So companies like mine, um, you know, we would, they would that, that, that organization would generate waste and companies like mine would uh, offer them um, at, a, at a certain price the service to collect yeah. it and, and do something with it so they can on their premises. So, yeah. so that's that's what I mean by commercial. Um, residential. I think the question you're you're asking gets into the residential space, which is what about all the stuff that we generate at home, which you and mm. I don't pay for. Yeah. Um, couple couple of things there. Firstly, you and I do pay for it, even though we okay. don't necessarily <laughs> see Tax. it because um, our councils pay for it. Yeah. Um, so so you're not paying for it directly, but it is it does form part of your tax. Yeah. You know, that's, that's money that as taxpayers we could be spending on other things like schools and hospitals and whatever else, right? So, mm -hmm. so we do, we do pay for it in the form of, um, um, it's a public cost. Yeah. Uh, to put into numbers that, how much that costs across the government and commercial sector, we spend about one and a half billion dollars on landfill costs. Yeah. Now that's not, that's not, in, that's not implicit environmental costs. We're talking here how much councils and commercial operators spend on paying companies to dispose it into landfill it's a it's a real it's a real cost that we pay today to put our organic waste into landfill one and a half billion dollars so oh, gosh. um and, and and getting into the residential space getting back to the residential space uh, the the if we were to move what we generate at home into uh, organic recycling facility it would actually be cheaper for our council so wow. if they're spending a certain amount today on on your general waste going to landfill if we were to remove about half of that into a separate bin and have it recycled, it would be cheaper for the council than it would be for them to send it to landfill. So eventually mm. what will dictate this is money and yes. cost. Yep. Um, but today today there are barriers to that from an uh, implementation and operational perspective. Yeah. But it is absolutely a cost, not just an environmental benefit, but a cost-saving exercise for council yes. as well. Okay, cool. No, thanks for explaining that. Um, it's interesting because once you start to ask questions, more questions arise um, once you get into a topic. Um, and for Waste Ninja, do you guys hope to get into the residential area for people like myself to access it eventually? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, it will probably be a bigger market for us than the commercial ah, okay. uh, setting, which is where we focus. The problem with the biggest challenge for us with getting into residential is the customer isn't the individual. It's there, even though the individual is a waste generator, 
the um, the, the customers actually councils, mm-hmm. and councils have much more aggressive forms of procurement, um, much more aggressive procurement practices. Uh, you know, things like personal directive guarantees. They expect you to have massive balance sheets. Um, they're very, you know, they're very risk averse yes. uh, in, in, in their in nature. So, working with a small company like ours is a bit of a stretch at the moment. Yeah. So our plan is to grow in this commercial setting first, and then once we're big enough, we'll start yeah. uh, knocking down the door of councils. And and that's already happening now. You know, we've we've um, we've got councils that we work with. We don't do their whole residential curbside collection, but we do do things like you know we've got a council in Melbourne that. We um, they own a childcare centre with 300 kids, mm-hmm. and we do organic collection for them, a food food waste collection for them at that site. Yeah. and that's a big, a decent sized customer for us. Um, and it is a council, but we don't yet do. Um, you know, if we were to then do a contract for them to collect food waste from all of their constituents, we'd be talking then a nice big big contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't we don't do we don't do that yet. But the the fact that we're in the door with them now and already providing a service to them means we've crossed that barrier, if that makes sense. Yeah, So great. it is absolutely a, absolutely a market that we want to go for. Great, great. And will there be a way to brand a cafe, for example, with Waste Ninja, for us to know it supports responsible food waste disposal? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we we are... Um, yeah, when I started all this, I, I had it in my head that that would actually be a major driving force for customers taking up our service. So yeah. we did a lot of work on what it would look like if we were to provide people with like a certification, you know, Waste Ninja certified. Yeah. Um, you, when you eat here, none of your food waste goes to landfill, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, we, we actually haven't found that to be a massive driving force for people, yep. interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I've learned about the waste um, industry and, and providing this service as a business is one of the things people want really want from you as a waste management company, is, is to not notice you're there. Ah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a surprise. It was a bit of a surprise to me. It's, it's the exact opposite. Like, I, I came into thinking that I'd have to be this big, loud, fancy brand. Right. And what I've actually found is most customers just want to know that when when you say you're going to be there, you're there, and you go round the back and you get that bin <laughs> and you remove it and yeah. it, no one hears you and no one, yeah. no one is, you know, minimal disruption. And yes. of course they want to know that you're doing the right thing with it. They don't want to find out that you're, um, you know, mixing it in with general waste and then tenants yes. and all those things. And obviously that's well, a big part of our business. But yeah, surprisingly for us that, that we, we saw, a, we, we thought there would be a big opportunity in, let's say, shouting from the rooftops yeah. what we're doing with customers. But what we found in practice is that there's a surprisingly low take-up on that. We obviously do have customers that do want that, and mm-hmm. we, we, we love, it's obviously good for us, and we love working on those particular um, um, situations, but it's, 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 it's more the exception than it is the norm, which, which totally surprised me. Totally, yeah, because I would be on your wavelength too, and I guess that's what's interesting about yeah. um, business is that you learn about what other people's opinions are and, you know, majority rules often. So, yeah, interesting. And yeah. I was going to say, it's, yeah. a, it's a brilliant brand name, um, Waste Ninja, because that, that, that perfectly fits what they want, um, you know, go in um, and, and, and take the waste and nice and easy. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, the, 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 the meaning behind that name when I started was yeah. I actually thought that, you know, if you look at the traditional purpose of a waste company, it's, it's 
this is going to sound terrible, but it's actually to mm. maximise waste, right? Because that's the business you're in. Yes. And and generating more waste means more income. Right. Uh, whereas we wanted to build a business that respects the waste hierarchy and sees it the other way. And mm-hmm. you know, inevitably there will be waste. And you, and I think if you've got to, you're going to want to do, really do, deal with this problem, you've got to be you've got to have a solution to the biggest part, which is the waste that does eventually get generated. But really, the bigger problem is we need to cut it down. So that was where we got came up with the name. It was a you know this idea of that. Yes, we are ultimately a waste management company, but where our heart really lies is in having less of it in the first place and turning turning things into resources when they do become uh, unwanted product, turning them into assets and resources rather than waste. So that's where the name kind of Waste Ninja, i.e. cut down on waste. Right. (laughs) Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, I think that's great. And, you know, Waste Ninja is what you're involved in. Um, I understand that you're also partnered with a packaging company. Can you tell us a little bit about them, if that's relevant? Yeah, that's right. So we... Yeah, so it's actually um, of two business partners on both businesses, and as part of what we're doing with the organic waste disposal, we also saw a market for um, compostable packaging. So, yes. and it comes back to what we were talking about before around, you know, in a landfill, organic waste is the single largest component of what we send to landfill in Australia every year. But obviously, a lot of what goes in there is um, non-recyclable packaging and single-use items. And uh, on top of that, you know, there are um, even of the components that we do class as recyclable and that we do capture, there are issues around how, how we recycle them. You know, we basically bail it up and export it overseas and then mm-hmm. um, hope to get paid for it. And that works until whoever's overseas says well, we're actually going to change the contamination requirements or we're going to mm-hmm. change the price we pay you. And then all of a sudden, everyone is in that space. Their business model has a spanner in the works and all, all that kind of thing. So... Um, we saw a big problem in this issue of single-use items, and yeah. obviously those products are a massive contaminant to organics collection as well. So we saw it not only as a problem from the point of view of plastics and um, how, how we use them and how, and how they recovered, if, if at all, but also we saw it as a roadblock to organic waste source separation and recycling. So mm. as part of that, we started looking at what we could do to fix that and, and again, looked at how we could work with other companies that were out there. And what we found, was that, again, was something that we decided we needed to fix for ourselves. So essentially what PAC360 is, and that's the name of the business, yep. um, PAC360 is a um, business that produces single-use items that are compostable, uh, tree-free, and made from only renewable, res- renewable sources. So as an example, you know, we, we wouldn't make a coffee cup out of paper because you can make a paper coffee cup that is um, compostable because it's paper, mm-hmm. but paper, as you know, is made of trees and tree fibres, and, and trees take seven years to regenerate and use mm. a huge amount of, um, uh, have a huge agricultural burden. So, you know, as an example, the, the cups we make, the compostable cups that we make with, uh, as pack, as, at Pack 360 are made from bamboo with a cornstarch okay. liner to give it the, to um, avoid cool. the bamboo from soaking up the product, yep. the, the liquid product, and then their lid is made from cornstarch as well, which looks just like a regular plastic lid with a bit of a brown tinge. Cool. Um, and all of that can be can be fully recycled um, in an organic waste bin. So you, the, beauty, the beauty of that is that there are a lot of companies at the moment looking at coffee cups as an example, and most most are gambling on this idea that we should re-engineer the existing paper pla- paper uh, combined with plastic cups so it's recyclable. Mm. The issue with that is that you then have to 
capture those coffee cups in a single waste stream, that has additional transport burdens, uh, and then of course there's no guarantee that you're actually going to use it because it's so it's such got such a specific purpose. So then the question, the efficacy around this actual recycling falls into question. Whereas mm. if you make it from compostable materials like we do, then you can just put it in with the rest of your compostables, which we're also solving, and yeah. you can solve two problems at once. Uh, yeah. If that makes sense. And there's that issue of that sort of plastic lining in the paper coffee cups. How do you pull that apart to individually? That's right. That's right. I mean, yeah. how does that work? Is it that's... just not possible to? Well, in so there's two there's two yeah. big coffee um, two, two big companies packaging companies that are, um, are are going down that path. So one of them I won't mention them just out of um, <laughs> just as in a yeah. professional um, um, as a professional respect, but. One of them is basically um, has a process or, or claims to have a process that can take the traditional coffee cup you use today, um, take away coffee cup, mm-hmm. and pull it apart into its uh, into its individual parts and then recycle recycle them. So apparently, even the plastic liner that goes into it. Um, mm. um, so and and again, I, I've had problems getting to the bottom of exactly how that works. Yeah, so like which places? Part, um, I'm not. Yeah. You know, so for my part, I'm not mm. sure, but I also don't know that it doesn't work. But that's that's what the claim is. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other company claims to have re-engineered that process. So so their their view is that if you take the same base products, which are paper and plastic, mm-hmm. and redesign them a certain way, you can you can then produce a disposable cup that then can be pulled apart easier into those parts and then recycled. Okay. Um, so that's the other sort of, and these are, we're not talking small um, businesses here, we're talking big, big, yeah. um, big players in the packaging space. So that's what they're banking on. Um, for our part, we don't think that's the answer. We think both of those, mostly because both of those solutions require you to capture those cups individually and then transport yeah. them individually. Oh, gosh. Uh, and, and Bamboo and cornstarch yeah, so all the way. <laughs> yeah, so that, that creates both a recycling burden and a transport burden. Yeah. Um, whereas we, we kind of look at it as, as look, we, food waste isn't, um, uh, or organics recycling isn't something you would do just because you have compostable coffee cups. It's actually the biggest component of what we send to landfill anyway. So why wouldn't we just make a single-use item that can be composted yeah. and then can go in and then we can grow, we can, we can offer people the service of compost, to compost their food waste and whatever other organic matter they have. Mm-hmm. And guess what? All these single-use item, single items can go in with that and become part of the um, organic recycling process uh, as well. It makes and total that's, that's sense. What, that's what we believe. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, your argument holds up um, for sure. Um, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and um, so, Darren, do you enjoy what you do? Yeah, I, I, I love it, Chloe. So, <laughs> you know, I, was, I often explain to people that, yeah, we, when we when we started the conversation earlier earlier, we I, I spoke about working in the corporate world, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I you know I've been fortunate to do some pretty pretty work in some pretty cool companies and do some um, work with some pretty big numbers and work in different countries and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, one thing I'd say that's very different about where I'm what I do today is every day I wake up with a purpose, and yeah. every day I I push myself without trying to to be better than the day before and to work harder and to and to mm-hmm. take what I'm, take the service we're doing to more people. So, uh, and that's that's some, that's a, a part of me I didn't know existed. To be honest, it was yeah. just a, that can only come from doing something that you're you love and that you're passionate about. So, um, 
so yes, yes, I absolutely love what we're doing, and and it's it's both a business opportunity and a chance to make a, a, a social impact, which which you know what more could you want? Yeah. Totally. And I think it's always good when people are energized to talk about their work. You know, that's always um, a good sign um, that they're enjoying what they're up to. Um, and, you yeah, know, I actually have a problem with that where, yeah. I, where I spend the weekends reminding myself that it's the weekend you know, <laughs> to try and switch off at least for a few hours because I find myself going back to wanting to read up on what's happening over here. And yes. See what customers are doing over here. Yeah, that's a big that's a big problem for me, which which obviously is a good thing because it means that you love yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's sort of um, less of a division. Um, I think that's a good sign, actually. Um, and you know, in the show notes, I will put in Waste Ninja's website, Pack 360's website. Um, is there a way that listeners can get in touch or how they can support you that you want to to say? Yeah, that would be awesome. So there's obviously all the um, basic stuff. If you want to come and check out what we do uh, at a very simple level. You can visit us uh, at Waste Ninja at www.wasteninja, or one word, .com.au, mm-hmm. and Pack360, um, similarly, pack360.com.au. That's packed with a, without a C, so P-A-K-360.com.au. Yep. And uh, obviously, if you can follow us on all the social media oh, channels, yep. so Facebook, LinkedIn, um Instagram and also subscribe to our mailing list. That would be awesome too. Yeah, great. Yeah, watch this space. I certainly am. Um, and to wrap up, Darren, how do you stay inspired? Look, I just remind myself of what the prize is um, at the end of this, and that all comes back to the problem, which is that seven million tons yes. of organics that sent to landfill, yeah. which translates to three million cars on the road in terms of methane emissions. So. For me, it's, it's very difficult not to be inspired when um, that's the prize that's at stake. And yeah. I truly believe what we're doing is is um, moving moving the, the general habit towards in Australia towards um, doing the right thing with our food and organic waste. And mm-hmm. as I said, I, I, I struggle to not be inspired by that. That's how I stay inspired. I go back to the problem I'm solving. Yeah, totally. I think... Um you can't help but be inspired, particularly when you know that you could have such a positive impact with creating a niche idea and uh, motivating others to join. Yeah, wonderful. Just want to say a big, big thank you, Darren, for your time and your expertise in explaining a whole bunch of stuff to us. I've really learned a lot and um, it's filled in a lot of holes for this topic. And let's stay in touch. I'll, I'll watch what you guys are up to. Excellent. Thanks for having me, Chloe. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. See you guys. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed being a part of me and Darren's conversation and that you have learned new things and understand more about food waste recycling. I know I sure have. And I hope you have also become inspired to be more aware of this space and contribute positively. Links, as always, in the show notes. Just scroll up on the podcast app or go to my website, betchloe.com. And if you like the show, I would be most grateful if you could tell a friend, subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. It all helps. Or follow me on Instagram at VetChloe. Next episode will be the ultimate episode for season two of Vet Chloe on the Road, where I wrap up this 15 episode season, but also last season, as it will be a self-report on my Lap of Oz adventures. I'll focus on my travels in Australia, my circumnavigation of it, what I experienced and can advise and inform you about, as well as debriefing on all the people and conversations I've had for this podcast. It truly has been an inspiring experience, all on wildlife and conservation. 
It will be a fun one. Don't miss out on it. Message me any questions you may have via Instagram, Facebook, or my email, info at betchloe.com. Till then, stay kind, and I'll see you at the next stop.